0: But today, I just want to create a little tension, like, what is it? Tell me. Come next Sunday. But today, we come to the end of our nine-week journey through the remarkable book of Ruth in a series we've been calling Hope as a Way of Life. And along the way, we have been exploring how Christian hope brings change to many areas of our lives today and this morning As we come to a close and we read the final paragraph of this book, we wanna ask the question, how does Christian hope bring a change to my perspective? How does a Christian hope bring a change to my perspective today? Now, what we are about to read is a genealogy. It's a bunch of names. And you might say, well, what is there to learn from this list of names? And I would like to suggest More than you think. Let us read. (laughs) Amen, brother. (laughs) Ruth chapter 4. Let me read verses 16 through the end and we'll pray together. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and as we open it up, we ask that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us this morning. For those of you who have, for those here who have known you for many, many years, we pray that you would renew them and restore them and bring fresh perspective to their lives. Father, for those who do not yet know you, we pray this morning that you would reveal yourself to them for those who are perhaps distant from you or have wandered from you, maybe even for many years. We pray this morning would be the day that you draw them back and that we would leave here, all of us, with new and vital perspective on our lives. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be our teacher. We ask this together in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Well, in 1986, the Guardian newspaper won an award for an advertisement, a commercial, called Perspective. And it opens with a short but effective scene. As it begins, we see a young hooligan who's charging down a busy city sidewalk toward a well-dressed businessman who appears to wrestle a briefcase from his hands violently. At first glance, it looks like the businessman is being robbed. However, the commercial goes back in time, it rewinds, and the same scene is shown from a different angle, a wide shot. And when it does, we see that the young hooligan who ran towards the businessman is not actually trying to steal the briefcase. He's actually pulling the businessman away from the falling bricks of a construction site above. With a narrow perspective, the businessman looks like he's being robbed. But with a wide shot, we learn that he's actually being rescued. To understand this, we need the The bigger bigger picture. picture. To understand understand this, we need perspective. Perspective. And And friends, friends, in many ways, it's the same with the story of the two widows that we've been learning about these last nine weeks in the book of Ruth. When it begins, it's a story of a widowed mother whose name is Naomi and her widowed daughter-in-law whose name is Ruth. And when the story opened, we see this older widow, Naomi, she's bereaved. She's left poor, destitute, and ashamed. And at the beginning of the story, with her limited perspective, in the moment, she accuses God of being her enemy. She accuses God of being against her. But as the story goes on, God used Ruth, her daughter-in-law, to bring incredible transformation. And here in chapter four, with the genealogy, at the very end, we are given the wide shot. We are given the bigger picture. This woman who thought that she had nothing, she's gone from being empty to being full. She's gone from disgrace to honor. She has gone from ruin to restoration. And like the first scene in the advertisement, Naomi was only looking at God and her life with a limited perspective. But here the camera goes wide, and we learn that God was not robbing her life. God was actually restoring her life. So friends, I want to ask this. What about you? Where is it, and be honest this morning, I know as we gather here in a parking lot or for those of you joining us online with like your kids terrorizing your home, you're like, kids, we're trying to worship the Lord here. I get it, I have children. But I want us to be as present as we possibly can and be honest before God. Where do we need perspective in our life? Are you looking at your life and you believe that God's neglected you? Maybe not entirely, but maybe in a certain area. Maybe it's your marriage. You're like, man, I just feel like God's bailed on me. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's with your children. Maybe it's with your health. Maybe it's with your circumstances. Where is it in your life that you look at your situation and maybe you believe God's abandoned you in particular situations or even in relationships? I ask that question because much of our discouragement our despair, or even our disinterest actually comes because we're not seeing things rightly. In fact, the Bible tells us that this is precisely what sin does. Sin is anything in attitude and in action which is against God and it distorts our view of God and it distorts our view of ourselves. What we need is perspective. Perspective. Being honest, many of us, we've made our assumptions, we've jumped to our conclusions, we think that we know or we see better than God himself. And I cannot overstate how important perspective is. Because wrong perspective will lead to wrong attitudes and wrong decisions. But on the other hand, right perspective and a full perspective can lead to right attitudes and right decisions. What we need is the bigger picture. We need the wide angle of God's word that changes our perspective. And as we come to the end of the book of Ruth, we end with this genealogy, which of course may look like a random list, but there is nothing random about it. In fact, this is an essential part of the book. The storyteller, the the author of this book, their intention in writing this book is to show us, you and I, the reader, that this unlikely romance in ancient Bethlehem produces a family line that leads to the great King David of Israel, which in turn then leads to the King of all kings, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came into our world to save the world. This family line... Would not die. This family line would continue. And that's important because it resolves the story of Naomi and Ruth. But there's another reason why it's important because it shows that God's promise to the whole world to bring a Savior was not going to come to an end. It was going to be fulfilled. And the line through which the Savior would come would be through this woman Ruth. And that is why when you turn to the New Testament book of Matthew, guess whose name is in another long list of names. Another, what appears might be a boring genealogy actually tells a whole story and in the genealogy of the birth of Jesus, you find a woman's name and her name is what it's Ruth it's a part of this bigger story and I want us to see this morning that this short story of redemption is actually a signpost pointing towards the bigger story of our redemption in Jesus Christ so what perspective changes in this story that can bring perspective to our own story Well, as I've been reflecting this week, I see three deeply personal and very important areas where I think we need perspective. I think the gospel gives us a new perspective on our failings, on our sufferings, and on our blessings. So first, we need to learn, as we come to the end of this book, that the gospel, the good news of God through Jesus Christ, gives us a new perspective on our failings. See, this woman, Naomi, she was what we could call a backslider. She was raised among God's people. She was an Israelite. She was raised in Israel. She knew God's law. She knew that her and her family were meant to stay in the land of Israel. Yet as the story opens, we learned that her and her husband, they left her home. They departed from what God wanted for their lives and they went and they resided in the land of their historic enemy, Moab, a land of pagan child sacrifice, and anti-God state of mind. They went to dwell there. She had turned away from God. She had turned and she had left her people. And when she would come back to Israel, she would see the difficulty that lied ahead of her. She would wonder whether or not she would be reinstated. She would wonder whether or not she would be restored. But friends, here's what I want us to see. And maybe many of you are familiar with this. Maybe some of you are like Naomi. Maybe you were raised even with with a general knowledge of God and yet you've turned away from this. For some of you might even be your first season back in church. You're like, yeah, 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 I know, but this seems so distant, I've turned away from that and I recognize it, but now what? What do I do? Maybe you feel like like damaged goods. Maybe you're just overwhelmed and burdened by an awareness of your failure. You're like, yes, pastor man, I get it. <laughs> I understand, but I don't know what to do with it. But friends, here's the good news. Though Naomi did do wrong and though we have all done wrong, there is still a way back for us all because the gospel says you are not accepted on the basis of what you have done or on the basis of what you have failed to do. Now, where do we get that from the genealogy? Great question. Look at this list. Who's included in this line? Who is included in this list? There's more lessons than names. It's incredible. It includes the poor. This list includes the broken. This list includes the outsider, the foreigner. This list includes what some might call the damaged goods. Why? Well, first, because that's what happened in history. These were the the people that were a part of this family line. But there's a deeper reason. These are the types of people that God has come to save and to include in his family. Sinners who are saved, failures who are forgiven, backsliders who are brought in. I love this because it gives us new perspective on our failures. Listen, when I fail, when I fail, I can be completely honest about it, but I'm also not crushed by it because I have a redeemer who forgives me and accepts me. It's because the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not as though God says, oh, sin doesn't matter anymore. Our failings, uh, you know, don't matter anymore. Of course not. They absolutely matter. But Jesus paid for them all. And so when I wrestle with my own failure, and believe me, I do. My wife can attest that. When I fail, I just want to beat myself up. But when I'm doing that in the moment, what I'm forgetting, and if for those of you who are like me, when you fail, you're just like, okay, God, I'm gonna come to you in a little bit, but first I've gotta beat myself up. I've gotta somehow like earn it through my own penance and then I'll come to you. For those of you who like me are in that moment, you need to remember that the cross tells us that our sin is paid in full. We could never pay for our sin. It's already been paid for. So when I fail, I can be honest about it, but I'm also not crushed by it. Because Jesus has paid for my sin in full. I think this is important because when you fail, here's a question, what's the story that you tell yourself? So you've, you've sinned, you've made a mistake in your relationships, your, 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 your workplace, your marriage with, with your friends. When you fail, what is the story that you tell yourself? See, without the gospel, your perspective is limited to your own effort. With the narrow angle shot, we act as if our acceptance is based on how well we live up to the standards. And when we don't live up to those standards, we live with that burden of failure, always trying to earn. But what we need is is the, the, the lens of the gospel with the perspective of the gospel. I can acknowledge my sin. You can acknowledge your backsliding or failure for what it really is. And at the exact same time, know that Jesus has paid it all. That's why in the New Testament, the apostle John in 1 John 1 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say some unrighteousness. It says all unrighteousness. The gospel puts your identity in the bigger story of God's love and grace. So that whether you fail or you succeed, you are a child of God. If you need correction, it is as a child of God. When you need encouragement, it is as a child of God. I think many of us this morning, we need this gospel perspective on our failures. But it goes even further than that. With the gospel, we not only have a new perspective on our failings, we also have a new perspective on our sufferings. When Naomi returned to the land of Israel in chapter one, she described herself as being bitter and empty because of her adversity, because of her troubles, because of her suffering. We learned that she identified with it, it became the truest thing about her in her mind. And her conclusion was, from her limited perspective, that God was against her. From her perspective, suffering was the final chapter of her life. From her perspective, her adversity was the last word. I point this out because I think it's the the same is true for many of us. When you suffer, or maybe you're going through difficult times right now, you're like, well, this is it. It's how the story ends, I always knew. It's always going to end here. It's all bad. It's all suffering. It's all darkness. It's all this and nothing more. There's no postscript. There's no appendix. The story ends here. And though our suffering is real, we can often be blinded in our perspective by it. But as we see and as we learn through this story, through a miraculous turn of events, Naomi not only sees practical provision in that her family does continue on, she also sees a restoration to God. And now in chapter 4, as she's sitting there, she came back into this land saying, I'm bitter and I'm empty. And now in chapter 4, she's got her grandson on her lap. What a picture! Before, she's holding out her hand saying, I'm empty. And at the end of the story, it's as if God is saying like, well, how you doing now? She's there, just picture that in your moment. For those of you who are grandparents, you know how beautiful this is. Just there saying, wow, look at how faithful God has been. She can look back and realize that her suffering, though it was difficult, was not the end of her story. So with this new perspective, she realized that God was actually at work in the midst of her suffering. So friends, practically, what perspective do we need when it comes to our sufferings? What perspective does the gospel provide when it comes to our sufferings? Well, let me say a couple of things, and I think this is really important for us. Because if your trust is in Jesus Christ, suffering becomes an important chapter but it's never the last chapter. Let me explain what I mean by that. For those of you who are not yet Christian, maybe you're exploring Christianity, maybe you're unsure. And I would guess that the question of suffering is one of the biggest questionings on your mind and on your heart. You're like, well, if God exists, why does he allow suffering? It's a great question. But let me just say this. If you push God out of the picture, the problem of suffering doesn't actually become easier, it becomes harder. Because if there is no God, then you don't really have a reason to complain. It's just nature. Survival of the fittest, like just deal with it. There's no one to complain to. You can't just shout out of the universe, say, universe, ah! (laughs) That's how things are. There's really no, no reason. It all becomes accidental. There's no higher law. But if God is real, and if he's involved, and if he is in good, if he is good, then that means that we can have purpose even in our suffering. Now, I must confess that I don't like this idea. I don't like that idea. Oh, there's purpose in your suffering. You're like, yay! It's not my normal response. But I have learned, as we would say the hard way, that suffering can actually play an important role in our lives. And it's key for us to understand. And it's what Naomi needed to remember. And it's what Ruth seemed to know as she went in this story. Suffering can do two things in a redemptive way. It can push you outward and it can push you upward. On the one hand, suffering can push you outward. Ruth also suffered. She was a widow, but her suffering was used to push her outward into the lives of other people, namely, comforting Naomi. And though I hate to admit it, suffering makes us far more useful to other people than we would be without it. There's no amen on that one, but it's still important. <laughs> because listen, when others suffered, you know, when, when you haven't suffered, for those of you who are in like the, the early stages of life and you're like, what is suffering? What is suffering? And somebody else in the church comes up to you and you're like, I've lost my job. My health is terrible. And you're like, wow, that's weird. Everything in my life is perfect. (laughs) Oh, just wait, my friend. Just wait. (laughs) See, without before when others suffered, you wonder like, what's all the fuss about? Why are all these people like crying about adversity? You know, just suck it up. Suffering is a challenge which if it's met in the right way, can actually bring great good, growth, wisdom, dare I say, even sweetness. Because when faced rightly, you can become compassionate towards others. You can become able to help them in their time of need and point them in the right direction like it was for Ruth. I think this is so important. Because answer this question, who would you rather be around when you're going through it? Someone who has suffered or someone who hasn't suffered? When you're going through adversity and you're around someone who hasn't suffered, you're telling them and they're like, I, that's weird. I don't understand. You're having trouble with your marriage? It's weird. I never have trouble in my marriage. You're like, okay. <laughs> But when you have been around someone who's suffered and they've responded well, in that moment, when handled rightly, the sufferer becomes a comforter. In God's hands, suffering can push us outward. But more importantly than that, with the right perspective, suffering can push us upward. Ruth's pain caused her to look beyond herself and call upon God. She was converted. She was a Moabite, but she came into the family of God through faith. And even Naomi, towards the end of her, her story, even though she came bitter, she acknowledges God. Suffering can cause to look beyond our circumstance and lift our eyes. I think C.S. Lewis, the great writer, was right when he said famously, God whispers to us in our pleasure, he speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It causes us to look up, it gets our attention. I hate to admit it, but it does. Or the Apostle Paul says it wonderfully in Second Corinthians chapter one. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Church, I say this to you as I say it to myself. Do not waste your suffering. Do not waste your adversity. Allow it as hard as it may be to help you look above yourself to God. Allow it to push you outward into the lives of others, to be a comforter to those who are in need. Because we remember at the very center of the Bible story is God's son, who comes into our world, and when he did, he did not go around suffering. He went through suffering. He went through the cross to bring us forgiveness. So remember this morning, for the believer, suffering with the perspective of the gospel, suffering becomes an important chapter, but it is never the last chapter. How would Naomi think if she went forward in time and saw what God would do in her life and through her life? This genealogy is a testament to the fact that her suffering and her adversity, no matter how great, would never be the last chapter. Friends, we need that eternal perspective. What if we could fast forward? When you get to heaven and you breathe your last and you stand before the presence of God, you're never going to look back and say, oh, I prayed too much. That's never going to happen. You're never going to stand in the presence of God and just be like, oh, I served the church too much. Especially when they needed kids volunteers when they were moving in. So I just, <laughs> Oh, I was too generous, Lord. Now that I'm in heaven with an eternal perspective and I look back to what really matters, oh, I was too generous with my money. Are you kidding me? That's never going to happen. We should write a book, Things You'll Never Say When You Get to Heaven. That'd be a good one. Where do we need this eternal perspective now? Because I often, like Naomi, I get clouded in my vision and I just assume, oh, God, it all ends here. This doesn't matter. This absolutely can't matter. I need eternal perspective. I need to remember that even though God might lead us to sorrow, it's always through sorrow. It never ends there. And the good news is the life of Jesus doesn't end with the cross. It continues with an empty tomb. He is risen and he gives us life and we learn to rely on him for the strength and the power and the perspective that we need. And we go through those cycles of desperation and deliverance, desperation and deliverance over and over again, each time learning to rely upon him and gain fresh perspective into our sufferings because knowing how the story ends changes the way that you experience the journey. And God's given us the Bible. He's given us the book of Revelation. We know how the story ends. Jesus wins. That's the news that we need to know in our hearts. And that even leads thirdly to a new perspective on our blessings. It's not only on our failings and our sufferings, we're given new perspective on our blessings. Here's why that's important, and here's what I mean. The narrator of the story wants us to know that the birth of this son to Ruth and Boaz is the work of God. Now, what does this teach us? There's two simple, but very, very important perspective shifts that this teaches us regarding our blessings. The first is this. I must recognize that every blessing I have, every blessing you have, comes from God. See, oftentimes we assume that every great blessing is a result of our good behavior. So if finances are up, marriage is going well. You're like, oh, well, everything's going great for me. I think it's because I'm awesome. <laughs> I'm actually killing it like in the Christian life. So surely that's why I'm blessed. And then you look at others and you're like, well, you're suffering. Well, you're kind of not awesome. I mean, that's, I'm just assuming. See, then you're looking at blessings without the perspective of the gospel. The idea that every good thing in your life is a result of every good deed in your life, and that is certainly not always the case. That is certainly not always the case, but many of us live as if it were so, especially not when it comes to the greatest blessings of all. In fact, our greatest good could never be earned. Notice here at the end of the story, the focus is not on the merit of the family, It's on the goodness of God. They don't say, Naomi, yes, get it girl, you did it. They acknowledge that this blessing came from the very hand of God. Even when I walk in God's ways and experience the natural blessings that can flow from obedience, it's ultimately not based on my merit, it's based on grace. But what's it for? That leads to the second perspective shift. The first is I need to know that all my blessings come from God. It keeps me from arrogance. It keeps me from pride. It keeps me humble and grateful. But the second perspective shift is this. All of my blessings, all the blessings that you have right now, they have a purpose beyond themselves. And I love this because the name Obed, where the story ends, they have this child and they give the child the name and the name is Obed. What does Obed mean? The name Obed means servant. Even this incredible gift of a son is meant to serve a greater purpose. Even the gift of the son, Obed, is not for the sole purpose of Naomi's joy only. It's not only for the joy of Ruth and Boaz, but for the joy and the blessings of the world because he would continue the family line that leads to Jesus, who is the servant redeemer. And Jesus Christ, when he came, he used all that he had for the good of others, for our good, and we are called to follow in his footsteps. And I would even go so far as to say this, the greatest way you can enjoy your blessings is by sharing them with others. I say this because many of us are more concerned with receiving a blessing than becoming a blessing. Like, Lord, I just want the finances so I'm not stressed out anymore. Rather, God, would you bless me so that I can be a blessing? God, bless me with strength and perspective so that I could be a blessing to other people. We need a perspective shift. And when you understand the gospel, you view all the blessings in your life with the right perspective. They're no longer idols because we recognize that no material or relational blessing in this life can ever replace the greatest blessing of knowing God. So is this your perspective? Are you looking for God to fit into your story? Or are you understanding that you need to see your life as fitting into the greater story of God? So are you single? You need to see today that your singleness is in light of the kingdom of God. The ultimate event in your life is neither remaining single nor getting married. It's about serving the kingdom of God with the time that you have. That's how you can look at your singleness in the kingdom of God. In fact, Paul the apostle was single and he said, look, yes, families are great, but I want to show the world that, that, that I can continue my own family through conversion by preaching the gospel and seeing my spiritual family grow. That's amazing. For those of you who are married, you're like, well, what about us? Well, the ultimate turning point for you in your life was not the day you got married. I know that doesn't sound totally romantic. The ultimate Redemptive day in your life is the day you met Jesus, just to give you a little perspective there. But now your marriage, which is a beautiful thing, can serve that bigger story. Your marriage is about your holiness, it's about your transformation. We're also told that marriage is a picture of the relationship that God has with his people. And that's what gives you the fuel and the right perspective you need to move forward in your marriage. It's about a bigger story. Your singleness is about a bigger story. Your marriage is about a bigger story. Do you have children? Children were not given to you by God, if you have them, for your own identity. They are a gift from God, meaning we are to be good stewards of them. Point them in the direction of Jesus to their ultimate purpose, which is not finding their identity in us as parents, but in Jesus Christ who loves them. My greatest desire for my kids is that they would reach out beyond me to the God who alone can save them. What about your work? What about your education? It's not just about earning a paycheck. It's, being about, it's about being a sign of the kingdom, which gives you new motives for working. You're a servant. And when you act like a servant in the, worship, in the workplace, people will look at that. They'll marvel at that and say, well, where did you get that attitude? And you could say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ who came to serve me. We need perspective. So are you living your life without perspective, without the perspective of the gospel? This morning, I call us as we come to the end of this book to think about the bigger picture. And as you do, you will find transformation. And as we respond now and we enter into a time of prayer and worship and communion, I invite you, friend, to put your failings into perspective by remembering that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins, all of them. And he has accepted you. Your success didn't earn it and your failure can never take it away. You are accepted by grace. This morning, if you're burdened by your failings, trust in Christ. If you're burdened by your sufferings, put your sufferings into perspective by remembering Christ's suffering on your behalf and how they had an ultimate purpose, knowing this morning that you may be burdened, but you will be carried through all the way to the end. And this morning, put your blessings into perspective by remembering that every good gift comes from Jesus Christ and it's the result of his grace. So if you feel blessed this morning, that's amazing. May you do so free from pride or from fear. And what we do now is what we do every Sunday. What I'd hope that we do every time we encounter the word of God, we respond in worship to the one who brings us about. And as we do, here's my final question as we end this story. It's a question to you, but it's also a question I would put to Naomi. How would you worship now if you knew your redemption was already on its way. Because every prayer in the book of Ruth gets answered by the end. It may not have been in the way that they thought and our prayers may not get answered in the way that we might originally imagine, but God will accomplish his purpose. He will bring you to the end. So friends, this morning, as we enter into worship right now, may it be a joyous time of declaration. How would we worship right now if we truly knew and believed that our redemption was already on its way, that God is already at work, even when we don't see it, amen? If you're not yet a Christian, put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ today. Today, repent of your sins. Trust in him as your savior and say, I want to know I'm forgiven. I want to know I'm accepted. Believe upon him today. And church, let's worship together knowing that he is at work. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are at work and you will continue to work until you bring about to fullness and completeness, the work that you have planned. And we pray this morning for anyone who has somehow or some way lost perspective, that you would give them that wide shot of the gospel right now. For those who are struggling in their singleness, their marriages, their parenting, their workplace, their school, may your Holy Spirit come and bring Needed perspective. God, I pray for those who have walked away from you. Like Naomi, would you bring them back today? May your Holy Spirit speak to their hearts right now, saying, Come back. The way is open for you. You don't have to fear being ashamed, you don't have to fear being rejected. The cross has covered all of your sin. Come back. For those who have not yet accepted you, I pray that right now they would. And I pray for us as a church that we'd be committed to looking at our lives, our church, and the times in which we live with the perspective of the gospel. Would you help us to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, as we respond this morning, it's not a time of just moving on to the next thing. This is the next best thing right now. It's responding to the presence of Jesus who is here with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you need prayer, you're like, man, I just can't see. I need to see. Or I need to help someone else to see. Come and pray with the men and women to my right, to my left by the prayer team signs. They're here to pray with you and for you and over you. So get up. Doesn't matter if other people are watching. This is church. We're all needy people, right? You're like, oh, I don't want to give up because it might look like I'm a needy person. Guess what? I'm needy. We're all needy. Can I get an amen? Amen. We're all needy people. That's why we're here. We're not here because we're good people. We're here because God is good. So we can go, we can get prayer, we could stand, we could declare right now in this moment, as we worship, we could say, God, you have told us how the story ends. I'm gonna worship right now because I know that my redemption's on its way. I'm gonna declare the goodness of God. I'm gonna lift my gaze above my circumstances to the God who loves me. So go and pray with those men and women. You can grab communion elements. You can stand. You can sit. You can kneel. But by all means, let us celebrate and let us worship, knowing that our redemption is on its way. Let's do that now.